welcome back to It All Starts Here. Uh, this is a podcast focusing on the education and communication of reproductive science and women's health. I am your host, Olivia Moyer, and we are here at the Institute for Women's Health at UCL here in London. And today we are going to be diving into the topic of an organ that I think is incredibly special and underappreciated, which is the placenta. And really just talking about its critical role that it has in all of our lives and development. And to discuss this, I have with me today the lovely Professor Eric Jonot, who is a researcher here at the Institute, but as well as that, is an internationally established fetal medicine specialist with extensive experience in the related bioscience. Um, His academic work and clinical activities have been focused in placental and fetal development, and the diagnosis and management of placental-related complications of pregnancy. He has covered the full spectrum from the anatomy um, and physiology to the diagnosis and treatment in utero of placental and fetal diseases. So it is so lovely to have you here with me today. Thank you. Um, I think maybe to kick this off, it would be great to hear from you what, um, how you started down this path and um, about studying the placenta and, you know, have become so invested at looking at this organ over the course of your career. Thank you for the nice introduction. I mean, like good things, it all happens, uh, you know, a bit with, as an accident to start with. And um, as a child, um, I remember my father telling me that he saved my life when I was a fetus in utero because he was very much um, anti-medicine. Not that he would not have a vaccination, he was not an anti-vaccine really probably weren't, didn't exist at the time. But my grandparents on the maternal side were doctors, so they were getting samples from the pharmaceutical industry. And um, when she was pregnant, of course, she had a bit of headache, nausea. So her parents would give her these samples, which my father would throw in the bin immediately because he saw that homeopathy was much better than any of these terrible medicine. And so I grew up with that concept that maybe medicine can harm you in neutral and you know it was fascinating and then at high school uh, i saw a documentary um, by an extraordinary professor of biology um, who was fascinated about um, in vitro fertilization ivf and i was absolutely gobsmacked when i saw the birth of louise brown and um, robert edwards and, and patrick step technically, you know, medically, the father of Louis Brown, not biologically, of course. Um, and um, when I went to medical school, I went to the professor of embryology. And so the sort of combination of, you know, um, you know, fetal malformation, how they develop in utero, and um, the possible role of the placenta in transferring this medicine. And the first chapter of, of any em- embryology book or anatomy book is actually the placenta because without the placenta you have no pregnancy. So that's how I got into it and um, I, I've never stopped because it's such a big chapter that I've just managed to come out <laughs> and become a fetal medicine specialist. But I know much more about the placenta than I know about the fetus. That's so that's so cool. I, Yeah, I, I really do relate to that kind of... I think for me it all started with the, the interest about how it all begins. And over the last couple of years, I've really just become so curious about the placenta and 
really just how important that in utero period is. I mean, I was doing some research that I mentioned to you back in Toronto, um, looking at, you know, an artificial placenta. And just from that, it became clear that there is so much that you have to consider and the influences of that. So I guess thinking a little bit about the study of the placenta, I mean, the evolution, you know, you, you touched upon how people would start to consider the influence, obviously, in utero and how that can impact you throughout your life course. Um, but maybe you can talk a little bit about how um, the evolution of studying this organ has gone and, and the different ways that we can investigate it and into today. I mean, us humans have a unique placenta, um, which is very different from all the other mammal species, except maybe the higher primate like the gorilla and orangutans. Um, but because they have a different lifestyle, um, obviously, and they don't exclusively walk on two legs like we do, that percent develops in a different way. When we have a very special development of our circulation inside the womb because we walk upright um, on two legs, and so that changes a little bit the interaction between the placenta and, and the womb. And so this problem actually is the source of most of the pregnancy complication because it is so complicated um, that you know the other animal species mammals including the you know the higher primate don't have things like miscarriages as often as we do they may have a few percent of miscarriages we have 20 25 percent of you know pregnancies that implant that don't make it um, and then you have other diseases like preeclampsia, which is completely unique to the human species. I mean, you can mimic this in other uh, laboratory animals like rodents, but it's never the same because they have a different placentation, they have a different traction, and the immunology also of these animals is, is different from, from ours. So this is a combination of this vasculature that's different and the immune interaction between the placenta and, and the uterus that makes us so different so not easy and in a way I'm quite happy because uh, I, I would not have liked to be involved in animal experiment anyway but here I had had an endless source of tissue for research because nobody wants to you know keep placenta uh, and so it's being thrown away um, at the end of the of the delivery so yeah so the research has been very interesting that's so the main problems are obviously miscarriages and, and this preeclampsia, which is a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy, which can lead to premature delivery, to very small babies, whose placenta stops functioning uh, at that stage. So, I mean, these are probably the most important complication of, of human pregnancy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's obviously using different um, models to try and understand it can be helpful but yeah since since being here it's definitely been interesting to kind of be able to look at it from the human side of things and I guess that's also something that you know as researchers we're conscious of it's useful obviously to use the different models whether it's a cell line or you know in some cases an animal model it's it's helpful to understand but it's important to recognize those differences and particularly with placent placentation I mean the different ways um, that it can occur um, I guess kind of taking more of a clinical background or trying to understand, you know, um, how that all goes, you know, in your work in clinic, how, what have you found to be true, 
you know, over the course of your career, um, or solid facts, if any, about um, influences on placental health? What do, what do you think is important to to know and, and consider? Uh, I, I will start with the untrue first. Sounds good. Because if you again you open these old traditional anatomy textbook, you'll see that as soon as the plasticity implants and the primitive placenta, the early placenta starts forming, you have an entry of maternal blood inside that placenta. You see this in, in those diagrams, you know, you have a little bit of red color coming inside the placenta. And in fact, this is not true um, because it takes time for the placental cells to adapt to the you know, oxygen level that we're breathing, even if there's less inside the, the tissue than there is in the atmosphere. You, know, you don't get 21% oxygen inside the uterus, you probably get 10, 12%, but even that is quite high for an early pregnancy. And so what happens is the placenta during its development actually blocks the entry of the maternal blood inside itself to allow itself to, to develop properly so that when the time comes, which is usually at the end of the first trimester, around 12 weeks, three months, then progressively maternal blood can get in. And that is the primary mechanism of the miscarriages. In all miscarriages, at some point, you have a premature entry of maternal blood inside the placenta, that it is due to a chromosome abnormality, that it is due to an infection, that it is due to geneticos that you know we cannot always identify. It's this premature entry of maternal blood inside the first trimester placenta that creates the phenomenon of miscarriages. And not surprisingly, patients who have a miscarriage most of the time present with a little bit of bleeding or a lot of bleeding to an A&E department. It's one of the most common complications you know, in, in medicine in general, but of course it's the most common complication in pregnancy. So that's, you know, that's untrue. And, I, and I'm very proud to say that uh, in the Gray's Anatomy, um, the, the team of Gray's Anatomy have accepted this concept. And then for the last three editions, um, I've been here with a colleague in, in Cambridge to Brian Burton to, to write a chapter on the placenta. So finally, this information is getting through, you know, medicine and, and science. And so it's changing a little bit the way we look at patients with these complications, the way we manage them, um, and you know, finding treatments in those cases that don't have a chromosome abnormalities and maybe would benefit you know, from not having a miscarriage. Um, because there are of course, there are other causes like immune causes and vascular causes that can be improved with treatments that are no evidence-based. Right. I mean, I think obviously... It's um, it can be hard to understand or to take an interest in understanding different processes related to health if it's not kind of something that you naturally have a curiosity about. So you know, with the placenta, I think generally people maybe don't. I think that's why it's so you know I think underappreciated is just because unless you're pregnant, I mean, it's not something that you really care to understand and study. But I guess I'm wondering, you know, in clinic when you have moms new moms that are coming in or, you know, they're early in pregnancy, are there certain misconceptions that you find um, that they, or, or questions that they have really about the placenta and, you know, or their baby or an understanding that they might benefit from about the placenta? No, in general, people are not interested in the placenta, uh, though they don't realize they wouldn't exist 
they didn't have a, a nice healthy placenta when they were fetuses in utero. And I can say it's almost the same in the medical establishment because fetal medicine looks at the fetus and they often forget the placenta is a fetal organ. And so they rarely have an interest in looking at the placenta, even when you have serious complications, you know, like placenta previa and placenta accreta. And they, they tend to forget that ultrasound imaging was actually first used in pregnancy to locate the placenta, not to identify fetal malformation. It took another 10 years. We're talking about here the end of the 60s when the first placenta previa were, were identified. And it was, this was a killer because if you didn't know the placenta was previa, which means the placenta is covering the neck of the womb, you know, if you go into labor or someone examines you, um, you induce a massive hemorrhage, which before you had access to modern technology was very difficult to control, and, and most of the patients would die. So ultrasound has really had a much bigger impact, in fact, by identifying this kind of placenta anomalies. is another one which is less well understood by the public because placenta previa, I think everybody knows uh, what it means. Um, it's the molar pregnancy, the hydatidiform mole, with, which is a um, sort of genetic anomaly of the placenta. And basically the placenta is growing madly with other fetus. Um, it can transform into a cancer. Um, and this again was not diagnosed until the patient was presenting with heavy bleeding, abnormal blood pressure, and no ultrasound can identify this from the second month. And so it has saved countless lives. Um, you know, just identifying these two placental anomalies, because placenta previa, the, the nasty one, between one in 500 and one in a thousand. And the model pregnancies, if you look at miscarriages, most of them miscarry, it's probably 1%. This is far more common than all the fetal anomalies put together. Of course, fetal anomalies rarely have an impact on the mother's health. But these anomalies are really a killer. And in, you know, in low-income countries where there is no ultrasound examination, this is a killer every day. Mm. Um, so yes, no. So they are not misconception. I don't think people are really... <laughs> having any conception at all mm. because they don't realize how important the organ is. Right. I mean, yes, there's a lot of crazy things happening with people and it comes in waves, you know, uh, fashion, yeah. eating their placenta. And I know that, no, it's, it's back and I get that question <laughs> in clinic. But then if the other function of the placenta, apart from, you know, enabling the, the fetus to grow and develop normally is to prevent too many of the bad stuff to get through, like pollutant, maybe microplastic, we're still studying, but black carbon particles seem to get through, but you know, certain medication, then it's able to stop some parasite, but not others. So understanding this is very important, but eating it <laughs> makes me wondering if you, you know, I tell the patient in general, think about your local swimming pool and the filter, you know, that cleans the water. Oh God. And basically, you want me to eat that? Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> it has fortunately acted as a barrier for a lot of the bad stuff which have spiraled up. It's 
if you take, for example, smoking, that's still about 20% of mothers who smoke, um, up to five cigarettes, it doesn't really have an impact on the fetal growth, probably because the placenta is capable of blocking horrible stuff like cadmium that's in your cigarette right. smoke. But then after some you know, level is reached, if you smoke 10 cigarettes a day, you can see then the impact on the fetal growth. But then all of this has piled up in the placenta. And you know, imagine everything we have in the air, in the water, um, in what we eat, piling up in this. I mean, I don't understand the concept because if you transform this into a pill, you dehydrate the whole stuff. So the molecules like progesterone that might have an effect as an antidepressant, for example, which is one of the arguments used your placenta is gone they're not biologically active you know, they've been completely destroyed by the process of transforming this into chips scripts and, yeah. um, and pills so all you're left with are all these horrible toxic you know <laughs> molecules yeah. uh, you know seriously yeah yes. speaking speaking of which i mean it's i mean again another another one of the many kind of incredible talents of that organ is is the ability to act as a sort of barrier kind of filter um which we don't totally understand what and and how and what gets through but um you know through your research i mean something that you've brought up in in the courses is this idea of and i think it's important in all of the different fields is to really take a step back and consider um whatever it is you're studying in the context of the environment now. Um, and that's important. That's something that we've been um, trying to do better in, in different fields. But, you know, you've brought up this point about microplastics and different um, bits that can exist in the water. And something that you've touched on before is, you know, obviously we, we have to continue doing work on understanding the environment and the interactions between an organ and the environment. But taking it to water. I mean, you have done research and, and you've talked about this. I wonder if you could dive into that a little bit. I mean, water, the problem is the molecules are adding more the pollutant, like you know, arsenic or nitrate. Yeah, they do cross the placenta quite easily. Um, no, historically, they didn't exist um, you know, until the modern age. Exposure to black carbon particles particle of matter, which is what you have in exhaust pipe from cars and factories, etc. I mean, in a way, we've been exposed to this for a very long time because you're burning wood in a cave, you're exposing yourself to these particles. So, no, I think it's what we were discussing before, the level of exposure, the amount um, which overwhelms the placental barrier function, if you want. Um, so, yeah, that, that is really the issue that we have now created the problem and we don't yet know what the long-term consequences are going to be because we are the first generation of people who are exposed to such an amount of of pollutant and certainly the first generation that are exposing the unborn generation to that amount of pollutant because we all exposed to it um, you know even if you live in the countryside um, you've seen the water pollution in the countryside um, is as bad, if not worse, sometimes than it is in big cities, um, because it's totally uncontrolled, and you know sewage is going into pristine rivers and on beaches, and so yeah, I mean this is new. We don't have 
the United States either, but I'm sure that's a question of time. I mean, I saw the World Bank UN report um, showing you know that half of the planet doesn't get access to clean water, doesn't have sewages, um, and this is so simple. I mean, we had this in Roman time, and it worked. So you know, stopping cars is not going to happen overnight. Stopping water pollution and getting everybody access to clean water. Yes, and there, you know, that's where the placenta, of course, my interest in the placenta comes in is is its role as a filter. But how much can the placenta take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's mind blowing, like you said. How you know, still today, access to clean water is something that not everyone has, and actually, an alarming amount of the population doesn't have access to. It's so cheap. Yeah. yeah. Of course it costs money, but nothing compared to, you know, changing all the cars into electric cars. Here, the investment is minute compared to what we spend mm-hmm. on arms and, you know, factories that are polluting. And yeah. We can't create water. The number of water molecules on this planet is limited. There may be some more deep inside the Earth. So we might get some from Mars or... But we can't create it. Yeah. So we have to respect it. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I've seen that you've, you've done, obviously, a lot of work internationally and, you know, taking this further than, than the water. But, you know, your studies and your practice um, in different countries where access to healthcare as well is really limited. I mean, the 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 one of the goals of this podcast is really to improve science communication um and you have done a lot of work with the charity um that you co-founded back in 2006 of medical aid films which um you know i'm sure you can go into more than me but is dedicated to help medical training and education in those low-income countries and i guess i wonder um, how do you find, and, and where did the idea of using these films to, t- to teach as a teaching resource, where did that come from, and, and how do you find that that translates in different countries? Um, it comes from the BBC, which at the time was, without any doubt, the best television in the world. And the documentaries that were being produced, the, you know, the, this you know, wildlife documentaries or historical documentaries were absolutely fascinating. I was wondering why we're not using this in school, for example, or in education in general, because some of them, you know, are absolutely stunning. I mean, you you, you learn, <laughs> you know, even in science, you learn when you watch them, even at my stage. Um, and so I thought this sort of approach was probably the best one because people are not going to read anymore. And if you think about, you know, low-income countries, mainly in, in Africa, not many of the nurses or healthcare assistants, the people that really need to, to have access to this education, read English, French, or Portuguese. They may understand it, but they may not read it. And so access to books also is limited. When we started, there were not many smartphones in, 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 um, in Africa, except you know, in North Africa and South Africa, but in between, it was almost empty in terms... No, you have two smartphones per African in Sub-Saharan Africa. So, you know, passing on this knowledge through films that you can translate easily with AI, one of the adventures of AI, into all different languages, including local tribal languages, 
is fantastic because you can really democratize access to to education. So obviously our films are very basic. Where we're talking about placenta previa, which obviously is a problem. Um, one of the major problems is placenta retention. So it's not a placenta previa. It's not blocking because otherwise the mother dies if she doesn't have access to a, a team that can do a cesarean section. Is the placenta being left behind after the baby has been delivered? And so you can't leave it inside the uterus for too long because it will be responsible for bleeding, heavy bleeding, heavier bleeding. It will increase with time, infection. So that needs to be removed. And it affects 2 to 3% of the population. It's not unusual. It's probably one of the main causes with the uterus not contracting properly after delivery um, of, metal, uh, of metal deaths in, in the world, but obviously mainly in, in sub-Saharan Africa. So, yes, yeah, so another you know, important item about the placenta, which obviously we've been making films about, and anybody can have access uh, to these films uh, through YouTube. Uh, some of the more, more technical films are, are protected because we don't want general population to start doing cesarean sections at home but um, you know yep, preventing postpartum hemorrhage um, basic resuscitation of the newborns um, you know malaria prevention HIV prevention breastfeeding you know all these important things identifying patients with high blood pressure preeclampsia which is much more common actually in African population all this is available online and a link with equipment, for example, measure the blood pressure that are very cheap, or measure the oxygenation level for newborns. Um, you know that um, local nurses, midwives can get through um, NGOs and, and other charity organisations. So you know we've been teaming up also with some of these charities that are providing this sort of affordable equipment. So you know it's a globalization now so and and again it doesn't cost much money it's it's incredible yeah. making a film like this probably costs between 10 and 20 thousand mm. dollars and it can go a long way some of our films have been watched one million times a year wow um you know for s specialist films it is quite yeah unique. Um, absolutely uh, we need support we need more help because we need to make my dream would be to make an entire midwifery curriculum online, translating all the possible languages we can translate into this. So, um, you know, that midwife, because in many countries it's not a midwife, it's a nurse, and in other parts of Africa you don't even have nurse, you have a healthcare assistant, you know, the traditional birth attendant. Um, and we could give them a sort of basic training through these films. Right. Yeah, I mean, and even taking it you know, back to the, to the, whether it's, you know, of course, teaching as a concept in, in pregnancy, but for the patient too, I mean, just helping to shed light, I guess, on the importance of the placenta and the importance of nurturing a healthy placenta during pregnancy. I think there's so much um, utility of having a kind of video. I mean, at least personally, I think I always learn better when I can see kind of the way that it works rather than just reading it out of a book. So I think it would be great, um, of course, to, to continue that on. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the future of, of these different 
areas, whether it be teaching clinicians or the patient, you know, there's going to be a lot that evolves in that area. Um, and I think videos is definitely a way to do that. Um, okay, well, I mean, it's been so lovely having you here today to talk about the placenta. And, you know, you guys heard it here first. Don't maybe, maybe skip eating it after you, after you get birth. Um, but it was such a pleasure and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.